And sadly, here in Corinth, the Corinthians were abusing the gifts that the Lord has given them. They were living as if they were full. They were living as if they were complete. The Corinthians were claiming the riches of God's grace and attempting to live like kings and queens when they should have been conducting themselves as servants and stewards of the Lord. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. And although 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction, here in chapter 4, Paul just reminds them that you are my beloved children. We find Paul... I titled this, My Beloved Children. We next find in verses 6 through 13, Paul mentions calling himself and Apollos fools for Christ. Reading from verses 6 through 13, it says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you have not received? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you glory as if you have not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed, I wish that you did reign and that we might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to die, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Even to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure it, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things until now. Fools for Christ. Paul reminds the Corinthians in verses 6 through 8, Do not think beyond what is written. The Corinthians had formed factions under the various Christian leaders. Some saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. We read that in chapters 1 and 3. 
But Paul here called for them to learn from his and Apollos' example that they would not think beyond the counsel of God's word. Paul knew that such thoughts could lead to pride. He said to learn from us, that you would learn from us to come to this understanding, but not to go beyond what has been written. Not to go beyond what has been written could be in the letter itself or in the word of God itself. Don't go beyond what the Lord has already given us. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the word reminds us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God, and the Lord has given us his word. And I think that if we would invest ourselves as students of God's word, we have more than enough in a lifetime of study in the word of God, that God can continually teach us. We don't have to go outside of the word of God to learn or to discover new truths that are beyond the word of God. I'm not saying that we live in a society where science and discovery is taking place in the world, but that speaks about the method of life and the works of our hands. But when it comes to spiritual things, let us not go searching outside of the bounds of Scripture. It leads to pride when these things take place, that I have found a secret that even the authors of Scripture did not know. It causes people to be puffed up. And in pride, the Greek word actually refers to have pride against another. Having a heart that is proud or haughty in Proverbs 29, 23, it says a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Paul taught us that love is not puffed up. Love is not prideful in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He also said in Romans 12, 3, for I say through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think soberly as God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. Faith and God has dealt each one of us the gifts that he has given us. And if God has blessed one individual with a certain gift, it shouldn't cause that individual to think more highly of themselves over the others because they don't have that gift. In fact, the others have gifts that you do not have. Pride should not be part of the equation of a Christian's life. We've all been saved by faith, so we have no reason to boast. When we begin to think of ourselves more highly than others, we need to remember that we are all sinners in need of our Savior, Jesus. And Paul asked the question, what do you have? What makes you different from another? In verses 7 through 8. And although... Paul and Apollos, some of the other teachers, may have helped the Corinthians to mature. It is Jesus who had given them their gifts and given them their talents. And since Jesus is the one who deals each one of us our measure of faith, the gifts that he has given to us that we might minister to others, why then should we boast as if we have obtained these talents by our own means? James 1.17 tells us, 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And again in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit works in our lives as believers, gifting us to special works that we are able to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And it is for the profit of all. We were reminded yesterday at men's breakfast in the lesson that we were going through that when an individual fails to use his gifts within the church, then it hinders the rest of the body of Christ. We are to come together for the profit of all. And sadly, here in Corinth, the Corinthians were abusing the gifts that the Lord has given them. They were living as if they were full. They were living as if they were complete. The Corinthians were claiming the riches of God's grace and attempting to live like kings and queens when they should have been conducting themselves as servants and stewards of the Lord. In Galatians 6, 3 through 5, the word tells us, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. We should conduct ourselves as servants and stewards here in the kingdom of God. For the apostles, Paul writes concerning them in verses 9 through 13, that they were made a spectacle to the world. He said, we are fools, that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. He begins to talk about the prideful position that the Corinthian believers had taken in their community and to compare them to the often despair that the apostles themselves found themselves in as they lived out the message of the cross. The Corinthians had become complacent and secure in their theology. They were ruling as kings and queens without following in the footsteps of Christ. It was not time, Paul is saying, it's not time to be kings. It's not time to be queens. Peter would write in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 22, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Christ suffered for us. He left us an example of how we should follow in his steps, not living as kings, not living as queens, but as suffering servants and stewards of Jesus Christ. The apostles were put on display before the world, both to angels and humans. In the world's perspective, they were fools, they were weak, they were dishonored. And in contrast, the Corinthian believers were deemed wise, strong, and distinguished within their communities. He said to this present hour in verses 11 through 13, We both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. 
We labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we blessed. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, as the offscouring of all things until now. The apostles' lives were lives of hardship, where at many times they hungered and they thirst. Many times they were poorly clothed. They had been beaten. They had been without homes. Instead of being supported by their uh, evangelical work that they had done, they had to provide for their own means, their own needs, through the work of their hands, while bringing the gospel to others. Paul talked about this in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, saying, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned that whatever state I am in, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love it that in the church we grab hold of certain verses like Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We make it a life verse. We put it uh, on the back of our cars on a decal. We have a, a bookmark in our Bible that reminds us of this. And we forget about the context from which that verse came. Where Paul's saying that I've had both highs and lows in my life. I've been abased. And I have abounded that he's had these highs and lows in his life. And yet, in all these things, it is Christ who strengthens me. When reviled, he said, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When defamed, we entreat people to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The apostles were viewed as Fools, as filth, as the offscouring of the world for the sake of the gospel. Back in the 1950s and 60s, there was a man who has a very difficult last name to pronounce. So we learned to call him Brother Andrew. It's a lot easier. Brother Andrew smuggled Bibles into communist blocked countries like Poland, Russia, China, and he has stated in one of the books that he had written, I am a fool for Christ. And then he asked, whose fool are you? What a good question. Whose fool are you? The world's or Jesus Christ? And finally, we find those begotten through the gospel, verses 14 through 21. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, 
who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul reminded them and he warned them as a father to his children. He said, I do not write these things to shame you. A word that, yes, it means to shame, a feeling of shame. But in the Greek, it refers to a shame that, or it can refer to a shame that involves a change of conduct. Have you ever been shamed in a situation and decided, I'm never going to that place again? There was a change as a result of being shamed. You change your conduct. That's the view of this. I, I write these things not to shame you, but that they would have this change of conduct to admonish them like a father admonishes their children. Paul was not trying to shame them, but wanted them to work on their prideful conduct as spiritual children. He wrote to them. He warned them of the dangers of the current state that they found themselves in. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, it tells us, as you know, how we exhorted and how we comforted, how we charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own glorious kingdom. We exhort, comfort, charge as a father does to his own children that they would walk worthy of God who has called us into his own glorious kingdom. So as instructors versus fathers, verse 15, he says, though you may have 10,000 instructors, uh, this Greek word for instructor here, it's a word that originally spoke about a slave who would take the children within that household to school. And that's originally what it referred to, just the guy that got them there, bus driver today, gets our children to the school. But eventually the word became to speak of the actual instructor at the school the one who became the teacher or the educator. He said, though you may have many instructors, you do not have many fathers. But he said, I have begotten you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was not condemning the spiritual instructors that they had or the teachers who had followed after them. They were actually needful. Remember, Paul, as an evangelist, often would get in trouble in a, in a town. He might get thrown into prison. He might be suggested by the church elders, you know what, you need to leave. He didn't get to stay to help grow the new believers in their faith. So they needed spiritual instructors. They needed teachers. But he reminded them that they didn't have many fathers he reminded them that I have begotten you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul felt an obligation to his spiritual children. And likewise, his children should have felt an obligation toward him. 
He said in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Here Paul says he had a godly jealousy over his children. He said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. It speaks about how a father guards his daughters, making sure that he presents them to their future husband, their future mate. Paul saying, I'm going to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. So I'm sending you, well, before he said this, he said, therefore, in verse 16, I love this. I don't want to get past it. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach in every church. Although many served with Paul, Timothy held a great place of endearment to Paul. He called him my true son in faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. He also called him in 2 Timothy 1, 2, a beloved son. Paul often sent Timothy to places he himself could not go. He trusted Timothy to accomplish the work that needed to be done in a specific area. Sometimes he would uh, send Timothy in advance of his coming. At other times, Timothy would go after Paul had departed to kind of shore up the gospel had, that had been taught. And he reminds them to imitate me. And this in the New Testament is always in a good sense to become an imitator, a follower. He said, Timothy, I'll send him to remind you of my way. Technically, the Greek word speaks about a path or a road, but metaphorically, it speaks about a course of conduct a way of thinking or acting. Paul not only called the Corinthian believers to imitate or to follow him, he sent Timothy to remind them of the path, the road that Paul had taken. He was confident that Timothy would be a faithful teacher to them, to remind them just as if Paul was there himself. Later on, Paul would pick up on this, imitate me. In chapter 11, verse 1, he would say, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. If you have an NIV, it would say, follow me. Both are correct. As I follow Christ. We are to imitate Christ. And when people are attracted because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, they ask questions, you should be able to say, well, follow me. Follow my conduct, my path. The path that I am following is that of Christ. And then he asked the question, do you want a rod or do you want love and gentleness? Verses 18 through 21 as we close out in this last portion. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love in the spirit of gentleness? Remember that Greek word for being puffed up speaks about having pride against or over another. 
And he says, I don't want to hear the word, the logos. It's the word that's used there. But I'm going to come with power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And he asked the question, how do you want me to come? Do you want me to come with a rod? A rod could refer to a staff that's used on a journey, a ruler's staff, but also a rod of chastisement. And that's what he's speaking about here. Do you want me to come with a rod for punishment? Or do you want me to come with agape and gentleness? Do you want me to come with love and gentleness? Paul understood that some of the Corinthians would feel dejected by his sending Timothy. And Paul reminded him, he said, if the Lord will allow it, I will come to you. But I want you to, to think about this. How do you want that I should come when I come? Should I come with this rod of correction? Because the letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction. Or should I come with love and gentleness? And the hard things that he had to say, he said in order to bring correction into their lives, that they would walk in the ways of Christ. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.